Welcome to this week's podcast from Faith Christian Church. For more details, check out faithcc.com.au. We hope you enjoy this message. I want you to look at something with me for a moment tonight. We're actually looking here at Mark 16, the Great Commission. And in the Great Commission, in this version of it, verse 15, it's very familiar to most of you, but I want to show you something I think is probably a little different tonight. Jesus said unto them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And he who believes and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. I actually want to just stop right there. You all know what afterwards it talks about all the different signs. It ends up by talking about they went out preaching everywhere, the Lord working with them, confirming the word with signs following. I'm looking at this Great Commission for this reason. Let me just build this for you just real quick. Follow me closely. I'm using the Great Commission for this reason. My purpose tonight is to actually uh, build a case just for a few moments of the, on the fact that Pentecost or Spirit-filled Christianity, being baptized in the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, Praying for the sick, seeing them healed, seeing demons cast out. Prophecy, prophetic utterances, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, all the gifts of the Spirit. All of those things, that Spirit-filled life, is not just for part of the church. Pentecostals are not just a tributary. It's the main thing. And as I said, every believer ought to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. But because we suffer in our day today, our generation, with this mentality in the church that, you know, that people, even that are in various churches, church influences that don't understand the baptism of the Spirit and the things of the Holy Spirit, and therefore they're even negative about them. My grandfather was a deacon in the General Baptist Church, and back in 1953, this is how our family was introduced to the baptism of the Spirit. He was down to the altar of that General Baptist Church that preached against tongues, preached against the baptism of the Spirit. He was praying a young boy through to salvation without anyone ever teaching him, without him ever asking for it. All of a sudden, the Holy Ghost fell upon him, and he was baptized in the Holy Ghost at the altar of that General Baptist Church. He started speaking in tongues, in heavenly language, right there. The thing is, he got up and he went home and he could no longer speak in English. For the next three days, he could only speak in tongues. Three days later, the elders of the General Baptist Church came and visited him, gave him an ultimatum and said, you either renounce this experience you've had or we're going to excommunicate you from the church. Thank God my grandpa decided that he would not renounce what he'd experienced. And we were excommunicated from the General Baptist Church. And that began our journey in the in spirit-filled living. But you know, because that even many Christians in, in a church like this that may be baptized in the Holy Spirit, especially young people, will go to church, to school or to work, and you're not open with your experience of the Holy Spirit because you wonder how it will be received. Or you you, you kind of look people look you look on it as something that you just do in the closet, you know, because 
you're kind of embarrassed by it in some way. When I want to show you something out of the Great Commission, I want to show you how central Pentecostal experience is to all of the mandate of the church. The Great Commission is the mandate of the New Testament church. I mean, whether you're Baptist, Episcopalian, Presbyterian, Methodist, whatever you are, this is the mandate for all of the church. But many people just extract out of this mandate one thing, and that is going and preaching the gospel. Go everywhere. It's, it's, a, it's, it's going to the world. That's the Great Commission. And that's part of it, but that's not nearly all of the Great Commission. And the Lord spoke to me one day, and he said, there are three elements to the Great Commission. And if you're missing any one of those three, then you're not fulfilling the Great Commission. They're all three equally important. And here's what they are. I'm going to give them to you. They're going to sound kind of like high-minded at first, but they're not. I'll explain them to you. The first one is this. We exist for apostolic mission. Number one is apostolic mission. We preach and proclaim a transformational gospel. And number three, we exercise Pentecostal power. Those are the three elements that are found in this great commission. Number one is this. Look with me here when it says, and he said to them, go into all the world. The key is in the word go here. Go is the mission. We exist to go. Apostol we exist for apostolic mission simply means this. Apostolic, all it means is it means to send and to be sent. So to exist for apostolic mission means the church only exists. This is the only reason we exist. We exist to come to Jesus and then to be sent to our world or also to send others to the world around us. It could be to Africa that we go or it could be to our place of work or our neighborhood. But every Christian exists to be sent. If you understand that, then you understand that every Christian that's part of this church right now, this great church, that you did not join this church in order to be blessed. Some people say, oh, I come to the church because I like the preaching. I come to the church because I like the worship or something else. To be honest with you, that's maybe the reason you think you came. That's not why you're here. You're here for one reason. And that is you're here to find out what kind of gifting God's put within you and what God's wired you to do so that you can be equipped and trained and raised up to be sent to the world around you. You understand that? Now, that's non-negotiable. And I just say that because you got to let that sink in because many Christians don't buy into that. In many churches like this, you'll have a group of people that are the on fire. They're the ones that's going and then the rest of the church is just cheering them on and just saying, I'll just come to church. You know, I'm not that kind of guy or I'm not that kind of lady, you know. And when they don't realize, when you were born again, the spirit that was birthed in you is a going spirit. You will never be happy or content no matter what you do or achieve in life until you find what God has wired you to do or accomplish in this life let a church like this develop you and raise you up to send you out to fulfill the gifting that God has given you. Hallelujah. You get that. You know, look, and I'm not, I'm, look, I'm a nice guy. I'm not mean or anything, you know, but I, I mean, I say this because, you know, when I challenge people like this, you know, I'm challenging you because I love you. I love you. I, I know what will make you happy.
And for some of you, what you think will make you happy is not what will make you happy at all. You know, you think that what will make you happy is I need to just come to Jesus, get my sins forgiven, go to a nice church, and then raise my kids, have a nice family, build a good business, have a good job or whatever. That's what's going to make me happy so I can have a few nice things around me. I'm going to tell you, you're going to climb that ladder, get to the end of it, and find out it's leaning against the wrong building. It's not where you thought it would take you. In the end, you'll grow to be an old man or woman and look back and find that you feel frustration and regret over the life you've lived. The only life, the only life that will live and die being satisfied with their life and fully content with what they've done is those who have found what God has put them on this planet to do and then allowed themselves to be developed and raised up. Y'all with me now? To be engaged. You know, the pastors, look, I, I know the pastor's not here, so it's not him saying this, it's me, and I'm leaving tomorrow, so it doesn't make any difference. Pastors, you know, many times people would think the church is there for the pastor to bless them, the team, the pastors to bless them, you know. You know oh, and then if, if, if it comes a point where the, the pastors aren't blessing them, or, you know, the the you know, churches maybe make a decision, they don't agree with it or whatever. It's just things aren't going their way. Then all of a sudden, they're out of here because, you know, their whole relationship with the church is based upon what they can give you. Folks, listen to me as I tell you this. This is biblical Christianity. The only reason the church exists, the only reason this church, can I, I'm telling you, the only reason, one reason, and that is to raise up, develop disciples, and raise them up to become leaders in their world. I've looked all through the New Testament to try to find what the role of pastors are. And there's only one place I found in the whole Bible that gives us a definition of what the role of pastors, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and teachers is. It's in Ephesians 4.11. Here it is. This is all they're called to do. It says that they are called to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. It doesn't even say that they are the ones to do the ministry. It said they are to equip the people to do the ministry. The church is the one to do the ministry. Every believer is a minister of Jesus Christ. And the pastors are equippers. So folks, just listen to me. If I were you, I'm just going to make a challenge to you. And if you're in this church, enjoying the beauty of this church, but yet not have not engaged yourself yet in being raised up and discipled, I would, if I were you, I would get in whatever, the next steps, uh, you know, ministry they've got here. They've got a next, next step program for you to get into that will help you. You know, they've got a, what's it called, faith life or faith life. They've got a faith life training that you can get into. I want to ask, have you been through the faith life training? If not, get in the faith life training. They've got connect groups here. They've got some homogenous uh, demographic groups. Get in those groups. Why aren't you in those groups? Come on. Why aren't you in those groups? Come on, get with it, baby. This is what's going to make you happy. It's what's going to make you happy. You only are really happy when you begin to give away what Jesus has given to you. 
And you have to be discipled and trained to do that. So we exist for apostolic mission. Can you all say that with me? We exist for Say it again. We exist for Number two is this. He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The Lord spoke this to me. We exist for apostolic mission. Number two, we preach a transformational gospel. Transformational gospel, which means this. Listen to this. Which I love this, talking about Pentecost. Really, even before we get to Pentecost, there's fire in every one of these. You get that? In the going, there's fire in that. In the preaching, there's fire. Well, the gospel we preach is a fiery gospel. None of this milk toast, self-help, seeker-sensitive stuff. You know, where we're just teaching people how to have a better marriage and a happier life. What's all that? You can go buy a book in the bookstore and find that out. The gospel is a gospel that's good news, that teaches you the very way to lay your life at the foot of the cross so you can be resurrected, a new creature, and you can live out a life that is not, listen, all that self-help stuff, all it'll do is improve your life. The gospel will transform your life. You understand that? Hallelujah. There's a great hero of mine, one of the greatest ministers of the 20th century. His name was T.L. Osborne, and Finally, I got to know him, had him at our church a couple of times, and he invited me to his house one day to sit in a study and study the Bible all day. Whoa, one of the greatest privileges of my life. I sat there with this great man of God, studied the Bible, and in the middle of the day, he said this to me. He said, he was real animated too, you know, like me. He said, Rick, he said, do you know that you can go to your church and you can preach a whole series of messages on marriage? And never even get close to the gospel. I said, you can? He said, yeah. He said, you can preach a whole series of messages on finances. And never even touch the gospel. You can even preach a series on prayer. And never touch the gospel. I balked at that one. I said, wait a minute. He said, well, the Muslims pray, don't they? But they don't believe in the gospel. He said, you must understand, Rick, that the gospel is only one thing. It's Jesus Christ. Him crucified. Buried rising on the third day, ascending to the right hand of the Father, pouring his blood on the mercy seat of heaven, sitting down at the right hand of God, and sending back the Holy Spirit to live in us to carry out his work in our generation. That's the gospel. He said, if you preach a whole series on, mess, on marriage without touching the gospel, you will prove people's marriages, but you'll never get to the root of the problem. He said, the gospel, Jesus Christ, the cross in that marriage will crucify the hatred and the bitterness in that marriage, and it'll resurrect a new love, the love of Jesus in that marriage. Isn't that beautiful? I love that. I found out that there is power just in the preaching of the gospel. That's when I changed. Years ago when I was younger, I used to always try to preach nice intellectual messages, you know. I wanted everybody to be impressed, you know, and like me. And so I saw I stood behind the podium, and I, I was reserved and, you know, expounded on all of my great theology and all that. And I got sick of it. There was no power in it. 
And then after this, all of a sudden, I begin to see that the power is not in me explaining the gospel. The power is in proclaiming the gospel. Sometimes it's humbling for preachers to not be so high-minded and try to be flowery and explain it, embellish it. All you need to do is proclaim it. Jesus came. He died. You were nothing. He took your place. And now you can be new in Christ and fulfill what God's called you to do. Ha! Hallelujah. That's the gospel. And let me tell you, that gospel has power. Romans 1.16 says, Paul says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power. Boy, I saw that one day, and I thought, whoa. The gospel does not teach us the power. The gospel does not show us the way to the power. The gospel is the power. That there is power in the proclaiming of the gospel. And I begin to understand right then, and I came up with this phrase, that the gospel has the power resident within itself to bring itself to pass. I like that. Isn't that good? So see, that's why the Bible is called good news and not good history. Because good history is what happened in the past. Good news is what's happening right now. When you preach the gospel, the gospel happens. That's why it's news. Well, y'all missed that. Okay. Anyway, let's go on now. Number three is this. Number three, he says, preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. Now watch. And then he spends the rest of the command, just in case we didn't understand it. These signs shall follow. The signs of the Spirit shall follow. In case you don't get it, here's, here's the type of things that can happen. He said, you can lay hands on the sick, they'll recover. You can cast out devils. Even if you come across some deadly snake, you can speak in the name of Jesus, and that thing will not hurt you. I like that. So the Lord spoke to me. He said, we exist for apostolic mission. We preach a transformational gospel, but we exercise Pentecostal power. And if the gospel is absent of Pentecostal power, then it, ha then it is no gospel at all. The gospel, for it to be the gospel, always has to be accompanied by proof that it is the gospel. You see, sometimes, many times a day, people are trying to argue people into the kingdom of God with a head knowledge of the gospel when many times what they need is they need an encounter with God. i never forget one girl. She was from somewhere, Holland or somewhere like that, and she was backpacking through, the, through America. A couple was talking to her, and I'd never met her. And, and after a while, they came over to me, and they said, look, we've been talking to this girl. She says she's an atheist, and we can't get through to her. Would you talk to her? I went over and talked to her. I talked to her about 30 minutes. I told her everything I knew to tell her and didn't budge her at all. Was it? She's only about 20-something years old. She didn't budge at all. And finally, I just said, before we leave, I said, could I just pray for you? And she said, sure. And so I said, just close your eyes. And I grabbed her hand. And I started praying for her, but she didn't know it. I was secretly releasing the power of God. I was just saying, God. Out here, I was saying, oh, God, I pray that you just pray. Inside, I was saying, God, sick her, Lord. Sick her, Lord. Touch her. Touch her. Get her, Lord. Get her. Now, Go. We, this long atheist girl, in the middle of my prayer, I had my eyes closed. All of a sudden, I heard a little, 
And I opened my eyes, and tears were streaming down her face. And she was crying. What all of the argument in the world could not do for her, one simple touch of God could transform her life. And that girl was gloriously saved. Amen? Yeah, hallelujah. I like that. So Pentecost, here's, here's what I want you to get. We call it Pentecost because it happened on Pentecost. Pentecost is a day, right? The word Pentecost means 50. It was 50 days after Jesus was raised from the dead. And that's the only reason we call it Pentecost. And on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit filled the upper room. They were all filled, right? Tongues of fire and so forth. Pentecost from that day has been the pattern of the New Testament church. Now listen to this. And this is one of the things that irks me, is this whole idea in the world, in the church world today, you know there are these churches that they call the mainline historical denominations. You know, like the Episcopal, you know those guys. <laughs> the Episcopalians, the Methodists, the Lutherans, the, all those. They call them historical mainline denominations. Think of that term. Historical means if you want to know the history, here's the historical church. Mainline, if you want to know the mainstream, not those tributary people, the mainstream Christianity, this is it, historical mainline. And then it dawned on me. Those denominations, every one of them is only a few hundred or so years old. That's it. But Pentecostal Christianity goes back 2,000 years. The, you know, think about it. When Jesus decided to give birth to the church, he could have said, all right, I know what we're going to do. Let me see. How do I want to give birth to the church? Because I know it's not just going to be an experience. It's going to be a pattern for the church after that. He could have said, let's start it with a five-day teaching seminar. Let's start the church. Oh, I got it. We can start it with a Christian music concert. We can start it with a big fellowship dinner. That's what we'll do. No, Jesus says, I'll tell you what. If we're going to start the church right, we're going to start it with fire and noise and wind, and tongues, and prophecy, and visions, and dreams, and even drunkenness in the Holy Ghost. What's that all about? That's the pattern. Why is it that we work so hard to get away from the pattern? Why are we ashamed of the pattern? That's the pattern. The pattern is the only way we will experience what it means to be a New Testament body of believers and New Testament Christians. You got to understand this. Listen, God is spirit, right? So he is supernatural. He made us of his spirit, therefore we're spirit, therefore we're supernatural. This relationship we have with him is, has nothing to do with flesh or mind. It's all spirit. Those who come to him must worship in spirit. He said, so that's who the whole relationship is, is spiritual. The equipment that he's given us is spiritual. The name is spiritual. The word is spiritual. The baptism of the spirit is spiritual. Prayer is spiritual. It's all spirit. It's all supernatural. Yet we live so much of our lives in the natural, and many people are afraid of the supernatural. It's like that's reserved for this fringe 
element of the church. My passion, folks, is this, and that is to get every one of you to see that you, that God has called you not only to fill a, a seat in a church, but God's called you to be so full of fire of the Holy Ghost that you can go out, whether it's at work or in the neighborhood, wherever it is, and you can lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. It's one thing to see it here, but really at best, all we do here is demonstrate for you what should be done out there in the community around you. Hallelujah. Amen. That's New Testament. New Testament Christianity as its core is a fiery experience. You don't have to have the personality, kind of personality I do, but yet there should be a fire on the inside of you that's burning inside of you, that you feel that burning when you pray, when you read the Word. Otherwise, you say, why do we need that? Because we in our natural man so quickly fall back into complacency. And we can become casual about the things of God to where it becomes humdrum just going to church. I tell you, don't fall back into that boring life. Even the new birth, think of this, even before you're baptized in the Spirit, if you're really born again, the new birth is an incredibly supernatural, explosive experience. You think about it, why does Jesus use the term born? You know, instead of just saved. Other people use the word saved, follow Christ, become a Christian. When Nicodemus asked Jesus, Jesus, what can I do? To experience what you experience and do what you do, Jesus said, you must be born again. You ever notice, someone, I don't know if you have them over here, but in America, these TV shows where they'll interview preachers, well-known preachers, and it's one thing when they get some ecumenical guy, you know, who, you know, they, you know, they interview him and everything's nice and really, you know, all this, and then they get some guy and they say, now what kind of Christian are you? And they said, aren't you one of those born again? And they say, yes, sir. And all of a sudden, they get wide-eyed. Like, when you said born again, it's like you came from another planet. <laughs> and the truth of the matter is you actually did. <laughs> you know, just think of this. I know born. I know born. Think of this. You know, I was with my wife when she had four boys. I mean, they were born. And I'll never forget the first one when he was born. I went, I went through all these classes, you know, to help, and, and then I'd get to this hospital, and then in the room where, you know, they all, you know, women, they have those contraptions, you know, and they, they are contractions, whatever they are. Anyway. <laughs> and anyway, and back in those days, women, they had, some of you ladies will know this, they, they, they just had a big room with a, a curtain between each woman, and they were all laying in there together going, ah! So my wife was in there, and she's laying there, and, and the babe having contractions, and she goes, ah! And all of a sudden, I remembered one of my lessons that I got from my, what was called the Lamaze class I went through. And they said, if your wife starts having these severe pains of contraction, they said, just take your finger and thumb and squeeze her big toe. And if you squeeze it real firmly, they said that it should help relieve the contraction. Some of you ladies are way ahead of me here. 
You say, not on my life. Listen, I reached down there, and I grabbed her big toe, and I squeezed. I thought I needed to give a pretty firm squeeze, you know. I squeezed it like that real hard. My wife came up off the bed and said, will you get out of here? I thought, my God, who turned my wife into another woman? Finally, she's ready to have the baby. They take her into the delivery room. They get her in there. They get her all strapped up, you know, and well, my wife tells me not to be too illustrative, but anyway, <laughs> she's all strapped up, you know what I mean? And the doctor was right here, and he, you know, he's ready. He was the catcher, and then they had me positioned behind him. I was, behind, I was the backup catcher, <laughs> and I was, and, and so he, all of a sudden, he said, here it comes, here it comes. He said, big push, come on, big, she goes, ah! And I said, pop, here's the crown of the head. I said, my God, what's that? All of a sudden, he said, come on, another big push. Ah! All of a sudden, the head pops out. And he goes, come on, one more big push. Ah! All of a sudden, this baby slides out into his arms. And this thing comes, this slimy, messy thing. I thought, my God, she's giving birth to a lizard. <laughs> I said, look at this thing. I'm going crazy like... What's that? I didn't, they didn't tell me about this. It's got, it's, it's got a long cord that's hooked back to the, to, the, to the base station, you know. A few minutes later, the nurses clean up this little baby, you know, put a nice blanket around. They, of course, they'd cut the cord, put this blanket around, and turns and hands him to my wife, and she gets this baby in his arms in her arms, and she smiles, and she's ready to have another one. <laughs> and I'm thinking, my God, what just happened? <laughs> I'm seriously, I was like, what was that? I was dumbfounded. This experience was like explosive. It was messy. It was powerful. It was dramatic. It was life-changing. All of a sudden, it dawned on me when Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. The reason born again is so radical is because it's when that old man goes through the birth canal of the cross of Christ and comes out a new creature in Christ. It's oh, It's powerful. It's explosive. It's messy. I like messy conversions. I mean, dried, dry-eyed conversions are okay. I like them where tears are streaming. I mean, where they're sobbing or shaking or something else. I want to know that they have literally experienced the life force of God exploding in their spirit. That they've not just been educated with their head, but they've had a literal life change in their hearts. Hallelujah. Amen. So you see, even the new birth experience is explosive. If you understand that, then the baptism of the Holy Spirit is no, only a next step of explosiveness. I like to say it this way, that the new birth anoints you to serve Jesus. 
But the baptism of the Holy Spirit anoints you to serve the world. And that's what you need, is you need a baptism that will take this anointing that's already in you. People say, well, I don't, did you get, is the Holy Spirit, do they already have the Holy Spirit even before they're baptized in the Holy Spirit? Of course they do. There are not two spirits. There's one. You've got the Holy Spirit now, but you need an experience where that overflows out of you to the point where you cannot keep your life to yourself any longer. You have got to give yourself away to the world. Hallelujah. Somebody shout hallelujah. I like that. Do you like that? That's good. I just want to tell you this. Listen to this. I'm going to come down here a second. Listen to this. Do you all realize that everything about Christianity is fiery? I've had people say to me every once in a while, they say, Pastor Rick, they say, uh, how is it after all, you've, all these years that you've kept the fire burning? I said, it's the wrong question. I don't keep the fire burning. The fire keeps me burning. I just tend to the fire, and the fire keeps me burning. You understand that? You're not conjuring something up. I want to just say this to all of you. Before we pray here in a moment, I want to just say, look, I challenge every one of you. Is your life at the place you want it to be? Are you in church, but yet your experience of Christianity is just pretty dry, kind of ordinary now? There's nothing really super exciting, and I mean, it's okay, it's good. Life is not meant to be lived that way. If you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, it will radically change you to where your priorities will change. Everything will change. If you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit, some people have been baptized in the Holy Spirit in 1945, and it all leaked out in 46. The Bible says in Ephesians 5 to be being filled, continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. Keep being filled with the Holy Spirit all the time. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from Faith Christian Church. To stay up to date, check us out at our website, faithcc.com.au.